Welcome to Drowning in Manga, where we explore the deep, dark depths of manga. I am your host, Vlor GTZ, and I'm back with my co-host. And Andrew, who is very sleepy. Yeah, we're, we're recording this a bit uh, later than usual, so I think Allison's getting a bit sleepy over there. But we're still going to power through this uh, Shonen Sunday Shonen Magazine goodness. So let's not even cut to the chase here. Let's get straight into the recap. So we're going to start off our recap with our usual front runner here, Zero's Tea Time. And this time we got Zero's Tea Time Chapter 12. And Allison, you do the honors of recapping this. And I've time to, for all this to have uh, English words on it, so I'm going to have an easier time reading it. Uh, sure, I'm putting on his coffee apron. Looking really cute. Morning boy getting ready for work. Then we go to some uh, guy in a car named Trey Camel. Yeah, so Camel is a member of the FBI with uh, Akai and Jody. So uh, basically, he, he he used to be like Akai's right hand man. Though now I think they're all around like the same like position in the FBI. So he he appears time to time in a regular detective column. Oh, good thing this manga isn't really Conan knowledge required reading material. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. So now uh, Andre is going to the cafe and he smells fresh coffee beans. Here's some nice background music and temperature and humidity. And the cafe is like really nice and takes a nice sit down. And he sees Amro in that apron. Yeah, I mean, Camel seems uh, pretty shocked there to see Amro. Because uh, he and Amro are kind of uh, enemies. And he wants to know how cool Amro looks in that apron. But the uh, looks in this scenario. Uh, Andre gets really nervous while he's flipping through the menu. And... Amaro is glaring at him. <laughs> it's funny. Andre is like, uh, I'd like some American coffee. But Amaro is gonna go and get the coffee ready for him. Already takes a nice sip and Andre says it's a delicious coffee. And that the richness and sourness work out. He says he's surprised to find the Coffee known as American coffee in Japan. This is since so they named it to intimidate dark American way of drinking coffee. Says it seems like you've done your research, FBI. Well, he busted real wood. Like, I'm gonna order some macaroni gratin. It's gonna take a lot of time to prepare. And then uh, I guess he's gonna go make the food. The food's all done. Looks like he's eating a nice, some nice pasta. Good. It looks like a sandwich. Isn't that a sandwich? So, 
This one makes really delicious. The simple ingredients are exquisitely in harmony with the sauce. Strong vinegar and the secret ingredient. And I'm really so what happens to that woman you're usually hanging out with? We're always talking about. He was talking about uh, Jody Sensei. Or just Jody. He is the blonde haired glasses uh, FBI agent. You're the one that was in the bathtub. The bathtub? I'm. No, that's that was Vermouth, I think. That, yeah, that, if you're talking about, yeah, you're probably talk, talking about Vermouth. Ver, uh, Vermouth and uh, Jody are different people. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all these faces and names, and it's really hard. We, we really have to get you caught up at some point. <laughs> Anyways, now you're concerned. Then, like. Amro's fist slams on the table, and he says, "Viable life. I don't know if you're sightseeing or what, but having coffee break and it's time of the day. You Westerners are so carefree. I'm quite envious. As though half of your lives were at tea time." And he said the title. <laughs> He looks kind of cute there, being all intimidating. As, anyways. Message from Jyoti, which is who you talked about earlier. And Andre says, alright, I'm gonna go leave now. And Andre says, it was a delicious meal. Best space, best coffee in the food, yet the worst waiter. It's a big crowd of people goes by him. And Andre's like, what's with this? It wasn't here when I first arrived here. By a big sign that says a whole bunch of stuff in Japanese and I can't read any of it. And he said, mm -hmm. It says fireworks festival. I wish I could read Japanese. Well, no, they, they literally translate above. The image. Just because of the tiny There's, print. In, yeah, in between the boxes is poster, fireworks festival, notice on roadblocks. It's very late. <laughs> it's okay. I got distracted by Amro being sexy. And this Andre is like fireworks festival, traffic restriction. I should hurry out of here. Goes to the parking lot and it's like, get out of my way. I gotta get out of here. And then he's driving this car. He's like, phew, that was a close call. Rock says, if I had continued to spend my time so leisurely, I wouldn't have been able to get my car out. And then Andre's like, could it be he predicted it would be like this? Then we get some pretty fireworks shots. Looking at this end result, it seems like I had to thank him. That man. This, he said half of my life is a teen time. And then the, to be continued, it says next issue cover in first few pages of teen time in Poirot mode. Yep, they really want to push those Amaro color pages. Yeah, like has volume one came out this week in Japan, right? 
Yeah, I believe it did. So, yeah, people who have access to ebook Japan or live in Japan or any place that you can buy digital Japanese volumes or physical, go go buy uh, the first volume of Zero's Tea Time. Worth the money. Um, so, yeah, overall, I, I enjoyed this a lot. It was a good, fun uh, chapter. I remember initially I thought uh, the person who was going to show up at Cafe Poro when they were given a hint about an FBI agent coming was going to be Akai. But uh, not, it was uh, Camel, which I, I wasn't expecting Camel because Camel is uh, not one of the more, he's one of the less popular FBI agents, I feel. Mm, but uh, it was still cool to see him. Yeah, but yeah, it was still cool to see him, and um, he seems like he had a good interaction with Amaro. <laughs> At least entertaining for the reader. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess so uh, we should move on to our next chapter here, which is uh, Sh- Sheriff Evans's Lies, Chapter 61. So Allison, you're also recapping this, so go on ahead. Uh, well, we're starting off with a color page with the Evans and... Where they're standing together and Evans is pointing his gun at the screen. This book. And there's the promotion for volume 4 being out in Japan right now. And go support Evans. Evans is a good boy. Remember from last week, Evans was going to a porn shop. Well, he was going to a book shop to buy some porn. And then he accidentally ran into the... What's her name? Some sort of raid scenario, so Evans has to protect his book, so nobody can find out what a dirty boy he is. Uh, now they're trying to find out. I don't. And then it's just like, we'll just go straight in, no preparations whatsoever. Yep, we need to hit them before they can run away. Trying to get into the hideout to beat up all the bad guys, and Evans is like, I just want to get out of here. Porn. So we got two people with two different goals. Trying to get through this villain's hideout layer thing. She's like, man, why is he carrying that book with him while shooting? And then the narrator box is like, it's a porn book. Snakes that aside from the palm of his hands, there's no safer place for him to hide his precious porn. And then it is like, no sight of the leader, though. <laughs> oh no, his porn book dropped. Help. And the bad guys are like, ah, you people are trapped now. This is gonna bring the rest of the gang here to get to you. And then she's like, Let's get out of here. They can't get the drop on us. I'm gonna go on ahead. Here I cover his book. Evans is desperately trying to get his book. And he sees it on the ground. And then there's like a tiny arrow. That just says porn pointing at that book. Makes me laugh. Because it reminds me of that arrow from Goron's Host Club. Wins pointing at that face. Evans does a really cool movie. He's using like his book bag to shield himself from the bullets. Seems <laughs> like the ultimate form of defense. What's her name? like so. He had those books in the bag with him to prepare for that. And then the speech narrator box is like, 
The weapons had trust to the other side unharmed. Weapons book. And all the bad guys are like, after him. Damn it, I can't pick up the book with these bullets flying around like this. There sooner or later. Either hopefully we'll see it with the name Evans. And then the wonder who would have dropped in there. Then Evans is like, oh no. Aaron is like, it's funny how he's not pretending to be the victim here. And then it's like, I need a plan. They're still shooting at him. But Evans finds like some sort of uh, machine gun. A cloth. Hopefully it's like, so you notice there was a Gatling gun there. The tables have turned. Oh. Evans goes to a flashback with his dad. The Lord's favorite. Oh my. His dad and his life lessons. Life lessons with Evan's dad. It's like, son, are you ready to face death? And then small Evans is like, that's right. And it's like, there will come a time when you will soon have to sacrifice a part of yourself. Hesitation can lead to your death. And he's like, what's that, pa? And then Evans' dad's like, when you must throw away your porn. The ultimate sacrifice. Evans starts firing the Gatling gun. <laughs> and the arrow is still pointing at the book. And then the book, it's like... That's one way to get rid of your porn, I guess. Uh, a bit of overkill there, but... The porn gets blown up to bits. Like a long time ago, my pa taught me, when it's time, do not hesitate. And the narrator box is like, here is referring to the time to throw your porn away. Everything's okay, and the boss surrendered, and all the bad guys are captured. It's like, I didn't think you would have to use that Gatling gun to threaten them to stand down. And then, I was just like, I was only planning to stop them from advancing further. Since there is something I must protect at all costs. Is it me? And then the narrator box is like, if only that were true. Oh, if only you knew Evans was far more, uh, far less, uh, I guess, honorable than you think he is. So, uh, yeah, this chapter was a lot of fun. Yep. In the end, Evans managed to keep his honor intact. Yes, while eliminating his porn with a freaking Gatling gun. Yep. What the hell? I mean, there is nothing that can be too expected in the lives of Sheriff Evans the manga. Yes, Evans will go at all costs to eliminate the obstacles in front of them, even if it is his porn, the biggest enemy of all. Yeah. That was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, now we should move on to, uh, Tonikaku Kawaii. Um, so, this week we have, uh, Tonikaku Kawaii 
chapter 24. So, wow. Uh, but I guess, yeah, well, I guess I'll go straight into recapping this. Um, so we start off with, uh, uh, from the last chapter, Chitose finally, uh, confronted Tsukasa, because, uh, Chitose had been following Tsukasa this entire time, and, uh, she's saying, I'm disappointed in you, and Tsukasa thinks she's talking about the melon bread that she's eating, and, uh, Chitose's like, I'm not disappointed in the melon bread there. And she's like, what are you even doing here? You're eating melon bread in a service area, flirting, flirting with your husband. It's like, you're a normal girl. And uh, Sukasa replies, you're making too much of this. Ever since the first day I met you, I was 16, a normal girl. And uh, she's like, that's not true. Nesama, you're... you're and then uh, suddenly, uh, Chitosi's interrupted by a, uh, I think, a show idol of sorts called uh, Hirunendesu, who uh, I, they mentioned in the previous uh, chapter was the one who was promoting that uh, lime, uh, lime uh, udon that they were, that uh, Sukasa and uh, uh, Nasa were trying. So uh, Sukasa's kind of freaking out. It's like, it's Hirunendesu. We we gotta get out of here before it's too late, or else she'll start uh trying to sell us uh her secret goodies. So uh, the moment NASA comes back, uh, he's surprised to see Chitose there. But Sukasa's like, now's not the time to say that. Hurry up here. We have to get out of here before we're the victims of Hirunendesu. And uh. Chitose's maids as well tell uh, Chitose that they have to get out of there too because Hiruna and Desu is filming, of course. And if uh, Tokiko-sama sees them on television, she'll get really mad. Um, but as uh, Nasa and Tsukasa are walking away, Chitose yells, Why are you even getting married? Which uh, kind of really hits Nasa a bit. Um, and so, uh, Nas and, uh, Tsukasa are back on the travel bus, and, uh, uh, Tsukasa mentions that, uh, Chitose seems like she's very opposed to their marriage, but, uh, and, uh, elaborates, like, uh, marriage affects everyone, not just the couple, and, of course, some would say no, and she then asks, uh, Nasa if, uh, does he really think her, uh, his parents will be approving of their marriage or will they be more like Chitose and be like completely opposed to it but Nasa replies uh, he thinks it'll be fine and uh, he's sure that he can convince them which uh, makes uh, Sukasa happy um, they then pan back to uh, Chitose and her maids who are trying out food in the um, uh, at the rest stop area that they're at and they're all they're trying out the sushi and ramen, and Jitose is kind of freaking out. Like, why are you enjoying enjoying the service area? We have to go follow uh follow uh, Sukasa and Nasa. But one of the maids is like, uh, "Don't worry, well we have a Bentley. We can go after a uh, high speed bus easily." And uh, basically, we then pan back to Nasa on the bus, who is now starting to fall asleep. And he's still bothered by Chitose's words of why are you even getting married? 
and he's like, marriage has been around for so long, we can't track its origin. There's no such thing in a, as a country without marriage. So probably when humanity gained intelligence, it was already there. And he's like, e- even if they do, I... And then, but uh, suddenly his train of thought is uh, cut off by uh, Sukasa, who wakes him up and says that they finally arrived in, uh, in uh, Kyoto. And uh, so they get out of the bus and they're like, uh, NASA's like thinking to himself, so it'll take 35 minutes to get to Nara. If I go to my family tonight, we can spend half a day walking around Kyoto and do some sightseeing. Um, so he's then like, so Sukasa, is there anywhere you want to go? And she's like, maybe a bakery or something. Or a cute cafe or something. And NASA just cuts her off and is like, there's bakeries and cafes in Tokyo. And, uh, and every manga editor goes to all those cute cafes. And we can do all that in Tokyo. But we're here in Kyoto. There's tons of unique stuff. Um, so NASA, or Sukasa then says, um, Oh, I know. I actually forgot something. The manga museum. Um, and then NASA actually replies, no, this is old Tokyo, like shrines and temples and stuff, kimonos and strolling, and history of eons and the making. And uh, NASA's comments had turned into a bad rap of sorts. <laughs> and uh, Sukasa is kind of like, oh, right, old things. And uh, NASA starts to freak out. He's like, oh, oh, wait, Sukasa, you're not interested in historical landmarks? And uh, Sukasa kind of replies, it's not like I'm not interested, but now... Um, and then she, she notices uh, NASA's kind of slightly disappointed face. And she then replies, oh yeah, I totally do. I love old things. And our chapter ends off with the commentary box of, now it's the wife's turn to be nice. So, uh, yeah, that basically wraps up uh, this chapter of Tonikaku Kawaii. Overall, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, seems that things are definitely going to be developing more uh, between, uh, I guess, Chitose's kind of uh, disapproval of uh, Nasa Sagasa's marriage, and uh, we might finally uh, see some interesting stuff uh, come with Nasa as well with uh, trying to get the approval of his parents, because uh, it seems like Nasa is also kind of worried about whether uh, they'll approve of uh, their marriage. So it'll be interesting to see that what happens with that in the coming chapters. But yeah, I guess uh, now we should move on to Eden Zero Chapter 6. Six. So, yeah, Chapter 6. So, Allison, you do the honors of recapping this. Okay, starting off with the Shiki and the selfie thing with Happy. And then continuing on from last time, we're a giant robot. This guy, and now there's some big scary guy with the owl. Professor Wise. And uh, Rebecca and Shiki decide to run away. So that way they don't mess up the past and cause some really crazy space paradigm paradox theme with Uber. Running the giant robots like 
firing torpedoes at him. Action scenes being choreographed right now. Special giant robots fist, and it looked really cool. And explosions. And then Cheeky's like hanging from a really big fall. Rebecca and Tappy are looking at him like he's crazy. And then she, he's like, oops, I wasn't supposed to do anything. And silly little Cheeky. Anyways, a, a muscular man came out of the giant robot. He'll be back down on it. At the bar place and shots and it looks like the lady bunny is holding some beer. Uh, trying to make some furry bait going on right now. <laughs> I mean, that's not really furry bait, but... I don't know. This is kind of a skimpy outfit in traditional Mashima fashion, I guess. She's, she's got the human face, but then she's got like a bunny nose and bunny ears and a bunny tail and also bunny paws. I guess, I guess yeah, actually, maybe it is kind of furry-ish. At first I thought it was just a normal person, but no, yeah, you're right. They, they're a literal rabbit. <laughs> Aaron and don't notice... Tiny prince, but very bait in the in zero. My eyes are working in some ways, but not in other ways. The screens in the, this one are bigger because they're official subtitles. Anyways, Shiki's like, oh my god, that's hot. I don't think she was thinking that. And Rebecca's like, stop freaking out with every alien you see. But aliens who live with humans have the same language and culture as us. And speaking from our point of view, you're an alien too. Aliens, friends from other bands, be my friends, stop that. <laughs> Make all the friends. Is like the professors took something that wasn't his and ran and or 50 years into the past, right? Like this situation is hopelessly impossible to understand. And I'm like, yep, I agree, Abby. All we can do is eat. Professor Wise told us about this bar too. He said it was like a hideout. And maybe, and then suddenly they run to the professor. And then Wise is like, "How did you know where to find me?" And then Rebecca's like, "Wait a minute, just steer us out." And some octopus-looking alien dude playing piano with his tentacle hands. He tunes. I don't know. Can explain the situation during the musical number. 
Baker shows why is the picture of him as an old man. And then Wise is like, you gotta be kidding me, my hairline's gone. Like, you expect me to believe this Kaka Mamie's story? I guess that. Please, Professor, help us get back to our own time. And Wise is like, I told you, I'm not a professor. And Abby want him to grow up faster. <laughs> and then Shiki's like, oh yeah, you took something from him? And then Wise is like, oh yeah, I did. Then they throw him the suitcase and Shiki's like, what's inside the case? It's none of your business, kid. And then Shiki's like, maybe not, but it's not good to steal things. I was like, but you know... Agamrambo, we do have thief as a job. It's like, who are these people? And why is this like none of your business? You better keep your nose out of it, especially if it's true that you came from the future. Listen up things. And then why is this like be a good girl and go back to your own time? And Rebecca's like, we don't know how to go back. Like, my case is gone. And then Shiki's hanging upside down and he's going, Ha 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 ha, I job changed to thief. How do you like that? Why is like, you little... He's like, what's in here? And then the case, like, makes a beep 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 sound. On the floor. And then Shiki's like, whoa, my power suddenly blinked out. Case opens and like makes a weird funny sound and something else happens. Some tiny robot girl pops out. You're not exactly handling me with care, are you, Master? And then holy crap, this robot talks. The robot. Yeah, it seems like Weiss and everyone are confused too. Yeah, they're talking robot in the box. Yeah, so I guess that's the end of our chapter there. Um. Uh, so I I thought this was a pretty interesting chapter because it seems like Weiss was trying to uh, steal money, but instead he stole this uh robot possible weapon thing. Yeah, I'm so curious, like what exactly happened to this planet like was it on the verge of death and then everything got reset or like are they literally back in time hmm. so yeah it's interesting so far yes uh, i'm invested in what will happen next time i guess yeah yeah for sure um, so I guess uh, now we should move on to uh, Hajime no Ippo, chapter uh, 1230. So Allison, you're also recapping this one, so go ahead when you're ready. So continuing on from the Miyata Fate Tail Defense Fight. With intensity. And the match starts up. One's on the move, there's Glaring at each other. Movement. 
and uh, and it aims for his left side. Goes like it measures the distance, keeps his target pain damaging, and the left punch controls the entire match. To punching. Epo sees something is off with Miata, like his fighting style isn't the way it usually is. The other fighters still fighting, but Miata just like easily punches him in the face like a bunch of times on the floor. Miata's not giving uh, this guy any chance to breathe. He's just like going balls out right now. Balls out. like these punches don't seem to have the usual cut, but they're still very amazing. I'm with Miata right now. But he's still punching really good. Things happen and the opponent just like falls down dead on the floor. Or it's some tasty looking food. Wanna eat it. Oh yeah, that's some good ramen. I need to get key. Sorry, I got distracted by the food. <laughs> Anyways. Is Miyana gonna defend the belt? And everyone's like... As a do, he really should be going after the world soon. And he's like, no, Nidigaki's like, as long as Miata keeps doing all these title defenses, his rank might get snatched by some underdog. It's just like very intense because Miata's just like defending, he's not really moving on up anywhere. And then everyone's like, man, you're sure angry today. Yeah, he's still pissed because Ippo was harsh on him. <laughs> uh, who knows? On round eight, match is still going. It's looking all sweaty right now. Yeah, his opponent's just like not giving up. People's like, man, something's wrong. It's been seven rounds, and and Viada's not looking so good. Punches. Dodging punches, makes a punch, and the, the JV guy makes a punch. Punches going everywhere. There's a right cross punch. Holy crap, there's blood just flies out of his nose and back in his head. It's like a big direct hit, but Epo's still like something's wrong here, man. Something's very wrong. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically the end of our chapter there, and dang. That's uh, one way to end off. Miata's... Miata seems like he's giving it all, but uh, something's definitely off with him, and Epo's noticing. So, it's curious to... It's curious what exactly that'll be.
But uh, yeah, I guess we should now move on to uh, Hitman. And uh, since we didn't talk about Hitman in the last uh, episode, we have two chapters to talk about here. Um, so Hitman chapters 6 and 7. So we'll start off with chapter 6. Um, so this chapter starts off with uh, it being about uh, four months uh, since uh, Takanashi started working with uh, Amaya-sensei as an assistant. So we uh, kind of pan over to uh, Takanashi working uh, with the other assistants at Amaya-sensei's, I think, office. And they're complimenting uh, Takanashi on uh, improving significantly in the past four months. And uh, uh, basically, Amaya-sensei is really impressed with her work as well, saying that she has good intuition and... Uh, uh, she's glad that uh, she decided to let Takanashi work for her back then. And uh, we see on the little uh, skill chart on uh, on uh, one of the pages that uh, Takanashi's art skill has risen up to level 5. So hooray! Um, and then Amaya-sensei mentions to Takanashi if uh, uh, she finished up her manuscript for the newcomer's prize and she said that she did, and she in fact redrew all of it um, with her new drawing so that she's attained as an assistant to Amaya Sunset. We then move over to the editor's uh, final selection meeting for the newcomer's prize, and uh, the editor in chief is uh, starting to announce the uh, winners of the competition, and uh, Kenzaki's really nervous because. He thinks it'll be okay, but he's not sure. And, but he's confident that Takamashi's manuscript has improved a lot, and uh, she should definitely win something. So the first uh, person on the announce is first place with an average score of 3.8, and the winner is Sugi Sugira Kiminori's Soul Green, which is edited by the other rookie editor who started at the same time as Kenzaki, Asuma. So this surprise is... Uh, Kentucky as well, because he's like, something edited by Asuma, and Asuma's like super humble about it, and he's like, thank you very much, this is all thanks to all the kindness and guidance of my senpais, and uh, this kind of makes uh, uh, Kentucky even nervous, and they're just like, they, they suddenly just announced he was chosen for first place too, but as uh, Kentucky's thinking to himself, Editor-in-Chief also says that they have another winner with the same average score of 3.8, and it's Love Letter by Takanashi Tsubasa, which Kenzaki is obviously the editor for. And this kind of just, like, blows Kenzaki away for a bit. He's just, like, and they're starting to move on to the next uh, set of uh, kind of honorable mentions and stuff, but Kenzaki kind of waits a moment and is like, uh, did, did, did you just say Takanashi... Uh, won the award, and uh, Editor Chief's like, Yeah, pay, pay attention, dude. <laughs> and Kenzaki just kind of freaks out, it's like, All right, we did it. But then the de the uh, vice editor in chief is just kind of like, Sit down, we're in a meeting, and uh, Kenzaki kind of just shrinks up and uh, silence up again. But uh, to, in, in his head, he's just like, Yes, we did it. Your, your manga was a chosen as a winner, Takanashi. Uh, we then pan to after the meeting where uh, he's uh, Kenzaki's talking to Mr. Natsume, 
and uh, Kenzaki's super excited that Takanashi won, and at this rate, he'll be a senior editor in no time. But, uh, uh, but, uh, Mr. Natsume is like, I- I've got no interest in career advancement myself, but if that's what your goal is, have at it. And uh, this kind of makes uh, Kenzaki a bit concerned that he's uh, over-boasting, so he's just like, I, I was just joking. There- there's no way someone like me can make it, right? And uh, we then see the vice editor kind of uh, complaining to uh, some of the other uh, veteran editors in the office who's uh, refused to win awards. And they're like, you know, he's like, uh, it's honestly pathetic that the two brand new employees have been uh, the ones who won with only like four months of experience. But meanwhile, you have barely done anything and you're still considering yourself a newbie. The way things are, you have absolutely zero value as an editor. And uh, Kenzaki thinks that this is a little harsh, but the other editors are like, no, nah, not really. This is a, our job is to draw out the author's strength and to be firm with those results. And that is the only true measure of an editor's worth in a place like this. And even the days of successful authors might be numbered and you could be supplanted in a blink of an eye by your juniors. It doesn't matter who's better or worse. This kind of job basically is like gambling. And uh, then the vice editor-in-chief says that he actually thought Love Letter was interesting. And uh, we then see... uh, We then see... uh, Mr. Natsumi behind uh, Kinzaki kind of snidely say, uh, Well, if it gets published, my honorable mention might get placed above it, you know. Um, and, like, uh, the data shows that rom-coms without naughty bits don't get many votes. And, uh, Mr. Osmond says, uh, look like it's finally been acknowledged, and we may have, uh, we may all have our own reasons we share the desire to, uh, realize interesting manga into the world. And today, you've taken the first step in that direction. If you wish to keep your ideals, your form of justice, then fight with everything you've got, even if it kills you. Welcome to the battlefield. And then we see kind of a spread of all the editors. And, uh, it basically leveled the weekly Shonen Magazine editing department. Um, and then, uh, we pan over to After Work, where, uh, Kinzaki's calling Takanashi and is, uh, saying that, uh, he got the results for the Newcomer's Prize, and uh, from now on they have to work harder. And Takanashi takes this as uh, she didn't get an award, but then Kenzaki replies like, No, no, you, you, you did one. Wait, you got first place too, but that's why we gotta work harder from here on out. And so this makes Takanashi a bit mad because she thought uh, in, in that moment that she had lost. And, but uh, yeah... She then uh, actually starts crying out uh, tears of joy, and she's like, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm really so happy. Thank you so much, Mr. Kenzaki. And uh, Kenzaki then says, our battle is just beginning, you know? And uh, she says, like, don't, don't say stuff like we're being axed. So then we go on to uh, Chapter 7 here, which uh, starts off with... Uh, uh, Kenzaki's friend from uh, 
from school, Mio, who is uh, looking for an amateur model for uh, the female magazine that she works for. And she passes by Takanashi, and she starts freaking out. I was like, excuse me, um, I work for the VV editing department. Are you interested in being an amateur model? And uh, she says, I'm, I'm doing a piece on women in the office, and there's a spinning image of that. And uh, suddenly, uh, Kenzaki actually shows up and is wondering what they're doing there together. And uh, Kenzaki explains, oh, you, you know each other? She's an author, and I'm her editor. And today is the day of the awards ceremony for the Newcomer's Prize. And uh, Mio's surprised by this, and she's like, oh, you're a manga artist? But Takanashi's just kind of, like, humble about it. It's like, I only just won the Newcomer's Prize, so, um, yeah. And, uh, Kenzaki explains to, talk, uh, to Takanashi that Mio's, like, a friend from, uh, a college, and, uh, they happen to end up working in the same company by chance. And, uh, then, uh, Takanashi makes a comment of, oh, you, could it be that you're dating? And, uh, this makes uh, Mio freak out, and she starts trying to make, like, distractions to change the topic. But then suddenly, the veteran editor and the number one, uh, author in Weekly Shonen Magazine at the time, Katsuragi Masato, shows up. And uh, this freaks Kenzaki out, and he's like, hey, Takanashi, come on, let's go say hi. So, uh, uh Kenzaki runs up to uh, Katsu Katsuragi, and uh, he's like, I'm Kenzaki, I, we I joined Weekly Magazine this year, and I, I chose the company because I loved your series Traveling. And uh, Katsuragi's like, Oh, yeah, I heard from the chief. You're the guy who praised the manga that got axed. And uh, Kenzaki Tompley says, whether it was axed or not, I really love that series. And uh, Katsuragi's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, then uh, he introduces Takanashi to Katsuragi. And uh, uh, Takanashi just kind of silently says, uh, nice to meet you to Katsuragi. And then... Uh, the interaction is interrupted by the ceremony starting soon. So, uh, we, we then start off the ceremony and, like, there's a bunch of food there, but it's only for the authors. So, uh, basically, Kazaki's freaking out about it, but then, uh, the, the other editors are telling him to just, like, chill out and, like, don't eat it. But uh, then they have the, suddenly the actual ceremony itself starts, where Katsuragi is actually doing the uh, opening speech and congratulations uh, ceremony. So uh, he said, mentions that he saw all the work that people did, and uh, the, all the manga looked very interesting, and uh, how weekly ma mag manga magazine serialization is very tough, and... Uh, whether it's like a date or a friend's wedding or a funeral, sometimes you have to literally just not go and have to be like, sorry, I gotta work on my manuscript. But uh, if you want to get serialized after all that, then he mentions, I'll be waiting for you in the magazine. So come at me. I'll smash you with everything I've got. And at that moment, Kenzaki realizes that um, this isn't the time for him to be glad that he met an artist that he admires. From now on, he's going to be taking this guy on as sort of like a rival or an enemy. Um, and then uh, they get a few words from the winners. So, of course, the first one would be Takanashi, since she won first place. And she starts off by saying that 
she despises manga. Which definitely brings a bit of shock out of the room. And uh, she mentions that. And so I want to use that which I hate to destroy Katsuragi-sensei. And the chapter ends with them kind of scary at each other and uh, facing off. And yeah, that, that's a pretty interesting turn of events. Um, so basically, at first I thought uh, maybe we'd have a bit more time with uh, Takanashi as an assistant. But it seems that was kind of more just like a stepping stone for like a short kind of training time skip to raise up Takanashi's skills. But it now seems like uh, things are getting an interesting direction where uh, Takanashi might be literally taking on the number one uh, author in Weekly Shonda Magazine. So I'm interested to see where that, uh, where that goes and where it pans out. Also, do you have any thoughts on this? Or good chapters. I'm looking forward to what happens next. Yeah, so speaking of what's coming next, we should uh, uh, send off with our final series for the week, which is Orient, Chapter 10. So I'll also be recapping this, so let's just get straight into it. So the last chapter, that mysterious girl uh, store, stole uh, Kojiro Masashi's Iron Horse. So they decide to follow her to the fortress that she went to. And uh, at this fortress, they uh, are seeing like, oh, the wheel, the wheel traces go on. Is that the, is that the place the woman went to? So they decide uh, to basically go inside. And uh, Kojiro's like, that woman stole my iron horse. That's my father's keepsake. Will recover no matter what. They then notice on the building that uh, it says Kosameda Bushidan, and it's uh, means that it's likely a Bushidan hideout. So uh, the this reminds Musashi that uh, the Takeda Bushidan also had a fortress like this, and uh, Kojiro's like, uh, "What should we do now? Fighting against another Bushidan um, is not something we ever thought of." Um, but Musashi's like, even if we invade them, uh, do we know what's, uh, gonna happen inside a Bushidan house? Uh, for all we know, they could be very friendly people, unlike the Takeda Bushidan. And, uh, they, they might not look down on him, uh, like, uh, the Takeda Bushidan did. Which just makes, uh, Kojiro a bit, uh, awkward there, because he's like, he can clearly tell Musashi's still pissed at the Takeda Bushidan for kind of treating him like an amateur. But uh, Kojiro then is like, uh, there, there might only come out one worthless rascal that'll make you howl. And uh, Musa Musashi's like, your imagination is way too optimistic. And uh, Kojiro replies, on the contrary, you have such an optimistic imagination. So then they uh, basically go into the actual castle itself, which is called the Samigare Castle. And uh, Musashi's like, I don't know what kind of bushi will be waiting for us in here, but let's try to get inside this hideout. So they go inside, and basically there's like nobody in there at first, but then they come across the girl who stole the iron horse. 
Um, and uh, she's just like, welcome to the Kosameda Bushiman. And uh, Kojiro freaks out and is like, it's the girl thief. You bastard, give me back my iron horse. And she's like, I'll give it back. I only plan to borrow it. It's over here. Please follow me. And uh, Kudger's like, this seems super shady. That that woman will definitely come out with a trick again. And uh, the girl shows them, actually, that there's an entire kind of village inside the Bushidan Fortress. There's people, like, growing crops, just living their daily lives and everything like that. And uh, she explained that the fortress is specifically a castle and that all Bushis kind of have these castles. Because uh, the castles, and the special thing about the castles is that they're all mobile. And the logic behind that is because uh, since Kishin appear all over the place, and since Bushidan's goals are to uh, take down all of uh, Kishin, it's most useful for them to be able to travel in these giant castles. Because then they don't have to worry about like eating or sleeping or something outside, and they kind of like have a safe kind of shelter to live in. And Musashi and Kudra do agree that, yeah, sleeping out in the open was pretty harsh. And the girl explains that, yeah, so the Bushi aren't going to be, uh, or the Bushi aren't going to be able to ex- uh, exterminate the Oni overnight. So each Bushi moves with their castle town. And not just the Bushi, but also the vassals support them. The farmers produce the food, the physicians, the animals. And they're all living together for more than 100 years. And basically, the Bushidan is a big fighter family. Uh, and uh, Kojiro is kind of amazed that the, all these uh, people fight against the Oni while traveling with them. And uh, Musashi is kind of surprised about all the little facilities they have, like eggplant harvesting, schools for uh, little kids. And uh, then a few of the little kids actually come up to uh, the girl whose name is Sugu. Sugumi and uh, uh, they try to kind of uh, play uh, play a little bit of judo with her. So they, the girl uh, plays with uh, them for a bit, and uh, Kojiro and Masashi just kind of wash on and are kind of like, oh, this kind of reminds us of our old home. And uh, the inside of Bushidan Hideout was far different from how they expected me. It's more like definitely how most normal towns and villages are. So then uh, Sugimi then gives uh, back uh, Kojiro his iron horse. And uh, then the kids actually started playing with uh, Kojiro because uh, they learned that he's a bushi. And then uh, Musashi starts talking to uh, Sugumi uh, one-on-one. And Musashi's like, one could say that they are an ordinary family. And uh, Sugumi replies that uh, it's not often said that, uh, that this is like an ordinary family. And, uh, uh, she mentioned that while she did say that the Bushan is, like, a big family, none of, uh, these people are blood-related to her because all of her blood-related family members have, uh, died out. And, uh, Musashi replies that, uh, that means that, uh, she and her are very much the same, which, uh, kind of surprises Sugumi. And, uh, suddenly then, uh, they hear there's a large announcement that uh, the Lord has returned. And this uh, seems to give uh, Sugumi a bit of a frightened face there, so it seems that uh, we might be getting into a bit of conflict in the next chapter.
Um, overall, I like this uh, chapter quite a lot. It's definitely establishing uh, Sugumi a bit more of kind of more than just an average thief. It's really showing uh, a lot of the unity that these Bushidan uh, castles have, and that it's more than just like an army. These are legitimate like villages and towns that are on the move and fighting against the Oni movement. Uh, so it's interesting because it's it kind of reminds me of uh, I guess like uh, the Jin Wars from uh, Magi in a way, but uh, but uh, I guess it has a different sort of setup since like everything is a mobile kind of village. But uh, basically, it, it's 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 similar. It's a similar principle in a way because you have these large groups that are basically working as a literal kingdom or village or town, and they're representing that with their own weapons to fight against a common enemy. So yeah, I, I like it a lot. Well, what did you think about Allison? It was pretty good. I hope more plot happens next time. Build up a line of punches. I mean, I'm fine with a little bit of downtime simply because, like, that first battle went on for a really long time. So, like, there needs to be a bit of air in between all that. So, I'm glad that we're getting some actual world building here because I I love myself some Otaka, like, battle action, but, uh,. Another great part about her works is that she's very great at world building and establishing these complex worlds with their own structured rules and philosophies. So it seems like she's prepping this up in Orient like she did Magi, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah, yeah, world building is good. It's just like a little, little slow after a really big giant monster fight. Probably as hyped up as I was for the last bunch of weeks. Yeah, that's fair. Or like a, this is nice. Just not a lot of moments. But uh, yeah, I guess that basically wraps up our uh, recap for this week. So I guess uh, we should uh, plug our stuff and get out of here. Um, So Allison, where can the good people find you? I'm feeling good and sleepy like I am right now. You can find me on Twitter at Meowthmanhundred on Twitter.com. Where can they find you, Vlord? The people can find me on Twitter at VlordGTZ. That is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. I'm usually talking about whatever I'm up to, whether it's uh, reading manga or playing video games or what have you. Uh, A lot of my time lately has just been kind of like busy with work and other real life stuff so haven't really been up to much fun lately yeah but on the bright side i uh, got some uh good stuff work-wise in terms of promotion so next year's gonna be a good time for me <laughs> uh but yeah um aside from that you can follow the podcast um at Drowning in Manga on Twitter, where I will try to update whenever these episodes come out. Though by the time of this recording, we're like four episodes behind the releases. But the next episode I'm going to release is just about done. It's I just need to put the finishing touches on it, and then it'll be out there in the open. 
So uh, I'm gonna. I really need to get around to releasing those faster, and I will. I promise it's gonna happen. So yeah, look forward to those. And you can also follow us on iTunes under Drowning Manga, as well as on the all all dash comic dot com website under the Drowning Manga section, which is under the manga tab and all that stuff. Um, you can also see me occasionally on uh, Manga Mavericks as well, where I'm occasionally on there as the third wheel host of sorts. Um, recently we recorded an episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, so recently uh, I recorded a episode about Shaman King with uh, Sid Lumramiyasha Lum and uh, Max Bernard. So look forward to that when it comes out because that was a really fun one. We spent like four hours talking about uh, Shaman King's case philosophies and uh, really the impact Shaman King has had on the Shonen Jump and the Battle Shonen industry. So, uh, yeah, look look forward to that uh, in the coming weeks and uh, as well as more content coming from us. And, uh, yeah, that, that basically wraps everything up. So, uh, let's get out of here. Later, guys.